Amen. All right, this is going to be session number four, then, on faith towards God. If you have an outline, I'm going to go to lesson two, which says the, basically the fear of the Lord, the reverence of God. And I want you to turn to Isaiah 11. Now, over the past sessions, you know, I've spoke here and there and everywhere a little bit, and I keep talking about how Jesus was a man. And again, remember I talked about the Son of Man, Son of God, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. Jesus stripped himself of his Godhead powers, all of these things that are still very disconcerting to people and some places. But all through Scripture, the more you study, the more you begin to see again that this man was a man who was anointed of the Holy Ghost and had no extra special privileges. And it's very important. Um, yes, he had the Spirit without measure, but I know a lot of people want to get dogmatic on a few points, but they miss the big picture. Like Jesus said, a lot of people, they strain at a gnat and they swallow a camel. In other words, they're so busy nitpicking some little bitty issue that they miss the big picture that the Holy Ghost is trying to communicate. So you can't talk about faith without talking about what it means to fear God, just old-fashioned, the old-fashioned reverence of God. But uh, in Isaiah 11, this is familiar, but let's just look at verse 1 and 2 and 3 and maybe a few. Isaiah 10, excuse me, Isaiah 11, verse 1 says, And there shall come, of course, this is speaking of Jesus, our Master, and it says, And there shall come forth a shoot out of the stock of Jesse, and a branch out of his roots shall grow and bear fruit. Verse 2 says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and of the reverential and obedient fear of the Lord. So it speaks about Jesus. We know this is talking about Jesus, don't we? And it begins to describe this man that's going to come as a man that the Spirit of the Lord is going to rest upon. But then it says that he will have the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of the knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And then it says that the produce of that will be verse 3, and it shall make him of quick understanding and his delight shall be, his delight, God's son's delight. This man's delight was in the reverential and obedient fear of the Lord. And because of that, he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, neither decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness and justice shall he judge the poor and decide with fairness for the meek, the poor and the downtrodden of the earth. And he shall smite the earth and the oppressor with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his waist, and faithfulness the girdle of his loins. Hallelujah. Fear the Lord. I just wanted to read that because of something I just want to submit to you. You don't have to receive it or not. You know, the, the New Testament word for spirit, who knows what it is? Pneuma, you know, P-N-E-U-M-A. The Old Testament word for spirit is ruach, R-U-A-C-H. At least that's the transliteration from the Hebrew. In both cases, it means the breath. It means something breathed. Now, all I want to submit to you is this simple little consideration this morning as we begin to go into this, that spirits have to be received. Now, do you have to receive the Holy Spirit? I mean, remember the Bible says, as many as receive the Lord. Everything, like I've been saying, is about learning to receive. Now, I used to upset, I upset one church one day because I... I titled this message, How to Get a Devil. And they immediately thought, this is going to be interesting. But when I spoke, what I was trying to communicate is I asked everybody, how many of you know how to get a devil? <laughs> really? I mean, how do you, does anybody in here, can anybody in here tell me how you can go about receiving, say, a spirit of lust or a spirit of greed? I mean, what I'm trying to say is, see, we all understand this stuff in reverse real easy. How do you catch a spirit? How does a spirit gain influence over your life? And simply, all I'm trying to say is by continual exposure. That's all I'm trying to say. The way people become demonized, we're not going to go through all the seven stages to demon possession and all that stuff, but the way people become demonized is because they continue somewhere in their environment to continually yield to that influence of that spirit. They continue, they open their eyes to something they shouldn't open their eyes to. Eyes are gateways like ears are gateways. 
they continue like men because I said dealing with men as much as I have in the past. You know, we'll talk to them about you can't, if you continue to watch that stuff on television or open those magazines, there's a spirit that will actually jump off and begin to attach itself to you. You got to understand. You see, a lot of people still don't like, I mean, I am not a devil chaser, okay? Anybody that knows me knows I'm not a devil chaser. However, one of the things I learned years ago is, you know, I had to discover this simple truth that God taught me so many years ago is that you do know that the realm of the spirit is where everything is real, right? Remember, I teach this again, everything, no matter what, you know, no matter what quote lesson I ever teach, I still go through this, that the realm of the spirits where everything's real. God is a spirit. That realm is the parent realm, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes. The realm of the creator. He's the, he's the father of spirits. He's a spirit. He, that realm is the parent realm. That realm is what created this realm. So what we consider to be reality here, if we were to compare it to what is reality there, would cease to be our reality in comparison to that which is reality. Don't ask me to say that again. <laughs> but it's just that that's real. That's where everything's real. Trust me, that's where everything's real. If your eyes were to be opened right now like the man of God prayed for his servant, and he said, Father, when he said, Lord, or when he said, Elijah, what are we going to do? Because look how many people, look at this, the armies of Syria. Remember, he said, Lord, open his eyes. And when the servant's eyes were opened, he saw all the hosts of heaven, all the chariots of God. And he said, behold, those that are with us are more than those that be against us. Because his eyes looked into a realm that is always there, but it's just outside our comprehension, right? But that's where everything's real. And see, the spirit realm is just real. That's all. And this, this realm is real, but only by comparison. It's just that you have to understand the spirit world created the flesh world. Okay? So don't get caught up in it, but it's just a fact. So spirits everywhere are teeming. I mean, the whole atmospheres, you know, there's three atmospheres the Bible teaches. But all of this atmosphere is teeming with spirits. And they are either good or evil, aren't they? But nevertheless, so what we're saying is spirits bring influence. Even when you teach the basics about what a demon is, a demon is, quote, a disembodied spirit that carries with it a personality or an influence that seeks someone to manifest its influence through. That's why the Bible speaks of unclean spirits. It speaks of spirits, of uh, lying spirits. It speaks of things. These spirits have a personality, and they come and try to influence somebody. And if you continue to expose yourself to them, they begin to have like an attachment where they'll sit on you and, and whisper in your ear, and you begin to, you don't realize it, but you're walking under the influence of this. Like we read in Ephesians yesterday, that people continue to walk under the sway of the tendency of this age, giving heed, it says, to that demon that walks in this earth, that controls the sons of disobedience. Now, I'm saying all that just to say the way you catch a spirit is by continual exposure, what you keep exposing yourself to. And I, and I said all that to come back here to read this about this man, Jesus. Now, think about this. Think about what I'm trying to say here. If Jesus was just God, well, I mean, just, he came, God came. If a man didn't come, if, if God came, does God need, listen, hear me, does God need to have the spirit of counsel on him? I mean, because he is counsel. You see what I'm trying? Does God need the spirit of wisdom? Does God need the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord? Because, you know, like, okay, I fear me. You see what I'm saying? No, well, see, if Jesus was, now see, don't get upset with me and get religious on me. I'm just trying to get you to look at something from another angle. You have to have, you see, you have to allow Jesus to be the son of man. You have to for him to ever produce in your life what he needs to produce. Jesus came as a man and he allowed himself to come under the influence of this. It said the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. I mean, I'm just, I'm, maybe I'm riding a dead horse, but I really want you to see this. This breath, this pneuma, this ruach, the spirit of the fear of the Lord was part and parcel of the character that he'd trained himself to yield to. He carried with them the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Now, all I'm going to say so that I don't take too long with that is this is why you need to really understand who you have close fellowship with. I'd done a teaching for years called Wrong Alliances, where I'd go through all the scriptures that talk about what it means to have mismated alliances and how the people, you know, how evil, uh, you know, corrupt, evil, corrupt, oh, I can't even remember the scripture in Corinthians now. 
Evil companionships corrupt good manners. Isn't that how it goes something like that? But evil companionships, just basically the, how the people you hang around with will often determine a lot of your future. And this is why you have to base friendships not upon affection, but upon wisdom. You have to, you have to be kind. I mean, in ministry, we deal with all, all kinds of people, but my close friends are people that carry a similar spirit. Because I have too much to do, you have too much to do. I can't afford to be under the influence of some other spirit too long. Now, let me tell you, greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. And so I've made the decision to not allow something else to have greater influence over me because I know that a, great, that a greater one does dwell within me. But I'm still saying you can get very casual and very careless and you can allow stuff to begin to creep in. This, there's a spirit, I mean, the Bible actually speaks of a spirit of doubt. Boy, I've had it before. But spirits are real. And I don't want you to get, you know, weirded out about, about spirits and demons. I want you to look at it from the positive because everybody knows about demons to, to a vast degree and they have a great faith and belief system in demons. And I'll repeat this again too that I do every time I teach. Uh, Proverbs 9, in Proverbs 9, you know, I, I've always had to have a Bible reason for everything I've seen. And, you know, when you hear people talk about when you go to a house or something where, oh gosh, you can just feel what happened, a murder took place there maybe years ago. And you go there and, you know, you can actually feel it. You can feel in the atmosphere that there's something there. And people go, ooh, man, I mean, you can feel it. Ooh, mula, mula, ba, 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 you know. And, and there is a scripture because Proverbs 9, the very last verse of Proverbs 9 in the Amplified Bible says that specters, which is another word for spirit, specters haunt the scene of past transgressions. Specters haunt the scene of past transgressions. So spirits linger. All that means is spirits linger. But I'm just saying, if you'll understand this, most Christians have such extreme great faith for that, they go to a place and they say, man, you can tell that spirit of murder manifested there and there's still something in the air. You can feel it. It feels eerie. It feels weird, right? Well, I'm just saying, why can't we have an equal, to say the least, hopefully a greater faith in the opposite direction, that if I'm, see, I'm possessed, right? I don't know if you know that, but I'm possessed. <laughs> you know, I'm possessed, and hopefully you're possessed. I've actually given myself over to a spirit. And he influences me every day of my life. Now, sometimes I don't listen to him as best as I could. But I'm possessed. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm possessed. <laughs> well, what I'm getting at is then just think, if, let's, like, like, let's say a whole, a whole group of us that are full of the Holy Spirit, possessed by the Spirit of God, why don't we have the same faith that when we go to a house and manifest? Do you hear what I'm trying to say? See, we think so, we think so strong in one area, and yet, and the very same truth should be the same truth in the other area. Why can't we have the same attitude that once we've gone there and manifested, that's going to linger? That's why, like, you go up to Sunderland, you know, where Wigglesworth was baptized in the Holy Ghost. And, and it's not just because you're aware of it. A lot of people walk on the grounds of that old church, and they just say, this is different than walking on the grounds of a lot of other churches. A lot of other churches, you feel a lot of things other than the Spirit of God. But you walk on this grounds, and then people, three or four people, have had visitations of the Lord. They're seeing Jesus, they say, what have you. But I mean, there's something strong that lingers in some areas because people protect the presence. One of the reasons we love Ashburnham so much is because to a greater or lesser degree, people here have protected the presence of God. There's like boundaries round about here. People pray consistently. And you can feel it. You can sense it. There's a peace here that's more than just a normal peace. But see, that's something we can have. But I said all that to say, that's what begins to determine really a level of faith that you'll begin to operate in. And I just want to tell you that you can yield to the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Now, again, I said as in the very beginning, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that when Paul in Acts 19, he came to some of these who've been born again. He said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And I just want to say that scripture says the Holy Spirit is someone you have to receive, right? Well, if you can just follow with that train of thought, any spirit you have to receive. And see, even you need to use your faith towards that. I mean, so that's why years ago I, I would put my hands up and I would say, Father, I yield myself. You know, I used to yield myself to funky spirits before I say, but I yield myself. I don't understand it all, but I see in here there is a spirit. It's called a spirit. See, this is an entity. It is a thing. It is not, well, it's not a thing, forgive me, but I mean, it's a spirit. It's a person, as it were. I don't know how to say it. It's a breath. It's, remember, and he breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Something that he had breathed, they, and the terminology means they breathed in something that was in him. 
And something came in them, and we called him the Holy Spirit. And so I often raise my hands. I'll walk in my prayer time and say, Father, you know, I just thank you. I receive this spirit. I want the spirit of wisdom. Because it says there's a spirit of wisdom, doesn't it? Now, every once in a while, I have some interesting ideas that people call wisdom. But then there's times I actually speak from a spirit of wisdom. There are times I kind of really regard a lot of what God's doing, but then there's times, I mean, I can feel the strength of the influence of the spirit of the fear of the Lord on me. I really can. It's like something that drives me to my face because I have such a revelation all of a sudden that's much more than my normal understanding of God and His goodness, and something just strikes me, and I realize that this spirit is really manifesting a strong influence right now in my life. But all I'm trying to coach you or encourage you to do is understand that spirits are spirits. And if you can understand how somebody can get a devil, then I want you to understand that you need to just begin to, un, un, without fear, begin to use your faith to yield yourself to the spirits of God, the sevenfold spirits of God, that the Bible talks about. They're spirits. Open your heart, lift your hand, say, I receive the spirit of counsel. I receive, I receive the spirit of, of the fear of the Lord. Because when Jesus, this is what Jesus had. Jesus had this as a man, and it said that it made him of quick understanding. Don't you want to be a quick understanding? It made him a quick understanding, and his delight, it said, shall be the reverential and obedient fear of the Lord. And see, what this produced in him was a wisdom that caused him not to judge by the sight of his eyes or the hearing of his ears, but he judged in righteousness. You see, even in the New Testament today, it says that none of us, it says, while we once knew each other after the flesh, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, but we're to know each other after the Spirit, right? Well, uh, you say, what's that got to do with faith? Well, it has a lot to do with faith because, again, it's only when you begin to train yourself towards this life of the Spirit. There is a life of the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you all know it, but we don't do it really, do we? But if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the what? lust of the flesh. And don't get freaked out by the word lust, but just understand, this is the war that Paul spoke about in Romans 6 and 7 over and over again. He said, I perceive in my members another law that works against the law of my new creation. He said, it's forever coaching me. He said, I perceive in the sensitive appetites of my flesh. And what you have to understand is, in every, I don't know if you know this, but every one of you are in the flesh. Right? I mean, you know, don't be afraid of the flesh. You got to be in the flesh to breathe. You're, you're in the flesh. I know that when we say flesh, we think evil. But my point is, even though you're saved, you're saved, you're filled with God's Spirit, even though your mind is being renewed, your body has a mind of its own. Paul said, I discern in my body that it has appetites of its own. And what Paul tried to communicate is that your body's not you. And that you need to understand that body has a will and your body will want, it'll have, it says, anyhow. If you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The flesh, the word lust just means an inordinate passion. The flesh has, the body that you live in has desires. And you have to understand that. And a lot of people, and, and see, it's really liberating when you know this stuff because a lot of people think that when their body has a craving for something, they're evil. Do you hear me? Dealing, like I said, with young men a lot, I have to work with this a lot. Just, you know, they don't understand that sometimes your body will react to an outside stimulus. And even some of you holy ladies. <laughs> Your physical being will respond to an outward stimulus. But that doesn't mean you're evil. It just means you have a body. But see, what happens is how can two walk together except they agree? If your mind's unrenewed to some of the truth I'm communicating now, your physical body senses something that it would like to have. And rather than present it as a living sacrifice, what happens is your mind that's not renewed says, well, my body wants this. Let's see how we can go get it. And your mind and your body get together in agreement, and they take authority over your spirit. Because your spirit's going, but don't do this. Let's do that. Now, if you can see the opposite, if you can renew your mind to the Word of God and let your spirit man gain ascendancy, then your spirit and your mind get together. And Paul, like Paul, you begin to buffet your body and say, shut up. I know you feel that, but you can't have it. Okay. Like the first time I was in France, the very first time I was asked to go do a wedding in the south of France in Cannes. Uh, you know, this is my one, another one of my horror stories. 
But I always remember, they took me over there to do this wedding, and I'm, I'm there, and I don't know if you know this, but France has demon-possessed patisseries. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love England, I've been here for 20 years, you know what I mean? And you go by the English pastry shops, and they look great, but... <laughs> but you get to France, and you, these things, and I was driving, and this, they took, they made the mistake of driving me into Nice, in this little pastry shop, and it was the very first time I'd actually ever had an almond croissant. I mean a real almond croissant. I don't mean Tesco, I mean a real almond croissant. <laughs> you know, homemade by some little French lady that knew what she was doing. And I mean, it was one of those things, like I said, I took, I went on there, I took a bite of that croissant, and you know, you know, <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> I salivated all over myself. And for the next three or four days, every time I drive down this dumb road, I'm telling you, there was this long demon spirit hand going, you know, and my flesh was going, and I'm just saying, you know, I'm, it sounds corny, but I'm saying, you know, it's not always a sex thing or whatever. It can be money, it can be anything, but the flesh has desires, that's all. But I'm trying to say there's a spirit you can yield to. You can yield to spirits. You can yield to spirits. And that's something you need to know because you see, I'm trying to say you have such faith about the negative. Turn that faith around to the positive. Begin to see if there's spirits in the Bible listed. Use your faith to yield to them. I yield to the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And it begins to produce a quick understanding in you. It really does. Jesus is our example. He's the pattern, isn't he? He really is. But anyway, let me just keep reading so at least I get through something during this five sessions. These qualities were all in the life of Jesus, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, to reverence the Lord. The fear of God. Now, we're, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, you all know that we're not talking about being afraid of God, don't you? But we need to say that anyhow. This is not the fear of the Lord. This is not seeing God as someone with a hammer waiting to zap you, someone who throws you into the fire but only lets you be partially consumed. It's, it is true because a lot of people still, you know, I, I forget who the, who's the guy that wrote... Uh, the knowledge of the holy, uh, I can't remember his name, but anyhow, it's a classic Christian book, but on the very first page, he makes a statement that the first, as it were, picture that comes into your mind when you think about God will control your destiny. In other words, how you picture him, how you see God. If you see God as somebody that's up there with a cricket bat, you know, just go ahead, do something wrong. Go ahead. Go ahead. I love you, but do something wrong. <laughs> Seriously, you see, and if you get honest, this is still how a lot of, like I shared the very first night about the grace issue, people have such a wrong image of God that they are self-banished from the life of God. They're self-banished because of the wrong understanding that they have. God is reaching out. I mean, you cannot do enough to offend him. You just can't. And it's hard for people to receive that, but it's the truth. He'll never leave you. In your darkest, ugliest moment, he'll never leave you. And like I said, some people fight for the right to be punished. They say, don't teach. Oh, they do. Don't tell me that. You know, when I sin, I know God punishes me. Well, you'll have what you believe. But you need to get accurate, and you need to get into the Scriptures and find out what God's really done. Sometimes we become too one-sided. It's true that we must recognize that we are sons of God, but above all, we must remember that He is God. Now, I'm talking about the old-fashioned fear of the Lord now. We are sons, but He alone is God. We must have a proper perspective. It became apparent to those around Jesus that He had a different relationship or knowledge of God than other people. I mean, He stood in the midst of crowds and talked with His Father. He stood and manifested God's love and character. Others went to the temple to worship God. Others read about him. But Jesus walked in the reverence of God always. He had a continual knowledge of his Father's presence with him, to talk with him, to guide him, to counsel him, etc. Paul spoke of those in Corinth in the same manner that did not have that. Now, if you turn, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Let me read this. I've got it in the outlines, but let me just read it from the Amplified Bible. Gordon Lindsay, many years ago, used to teach this from this angle. He said, you need to practice the presence of God. Now, I'm serious. You need to practice the presence of God. You do know that even as we begin, a lot of people, when they come to some of our Prayer for the Nations meetings, and 
And uh, well, I don't know, what we get comments on the most is, is our freedom of worship. That's what we get many, many comments about. And uh, we get a lot of crit criticism as well because we always hear this one, why don't you sing songs that we know? <laughs> and I do know what they mean, and we always try to throw some songs in there that folk know. We don't have overheads here. But you see, we discovered a long time ago that the song of the Lord is far more powerful than the song of the man. And that we need somehow to just begin. And we've just, and I hope it doesn't sound funny, but God's called us to model some things. Um, and I don't mean that pompously, but I mean, you know, if you're not a worshiper in private, you won't be a worshiper in public. You may be a singer, but not a, not a worshiper. Not a worshiper. And see, we have too many worship teams that have no worshipers in them. They're singers and musicians. But we need people that are worshipers. When you get a group of, group of people who don't worry about whether or not they know the words, God, they just begin to sing God's praises. His glory begins to fill their temple. And His grace begins to manifest. And it's just that this is why, you know, what, we do this all the time alone. And then God just has begun to allow us to do this more publicly and, and take the criticism. But I'm just saying, you practice the presence of God. The Bible says, hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Practice it as in the presence of God alone. In other words, it's what you do when you're alone that begins to produce what you do in public. But Paul spoke about this. And again, like I said, Gordon Lindsay said, you need to practice the presence of God. Uh, my spiritual father, one of my spiritual fathers many years ago, just used to say this over and over again. You need to become God-inside-minded. God-inside-minded. F.F. Bruce, F.B. Meyer, rather, said this. He said, you only find God everywhere when you carry him everywhere. And he used the old illustration. He was an old Englishman during the times of the, of the old mining Mines, uh, mining and what have you in Wales, and he said, the miner sees by the lamp that he carries on his forehead. And we must understand that we, I mean, what does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us, right? See, we say these things glibly, but God's with me. Isn't he with you? Yes. I mean, he, if it's true that he never leaves me, then I can call upon him, and in any given time, he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We must become God inside minded, because that's what produces the reverence of the Lord. A lot of people are holy when they go to church. You know what I mean? But you do know, you know, like I said, one hot meal on a Sunday and one cold snack on Wednesday night does not produce Christian character and fruit. You just begin to meditate. See, and God, again, I always say this, God's a God of individuality. It's, it's whatever you find that helps and works for you. All I know is there's little things that you begin to do that just cause you to begin to walk with the continual understanding of God's presence. That is, again, another reason why speaking in tongues is important, because it is a continual reminder of the fact that you're filled with His Spirit. So you see people that are old intercessors that have been at this stuff for a while. When you, you really know you're around old intercessors, if you know what I mean, when you just... When you're in Tesco and you're walking by people that are going. <laughs> and they're not trying to be spiritual to impress you. I just want you to know I'm spiritual. No, I just mean it's this constant. It's this, there's something that's, they have this consistent awareness. People that have this awareness, they ask themselves questions everywhere they go. Like, like my wife, she does everywhere she goes. When you're in the tube, when you're in the bank, she'll go, why am I here? And I don't mean she's going, why am I here? <laughs> no, I mean, she, she'll constantly, and, and we train her just, okay, Lord, is there a reason I'm here? And you begin to look at people, and you begin to think, is there someone here that I'm supposed to pray for? I mean, even, even under my breath. And I mean, this is what begins to make life rich, because all of a sudden, you begin to realize, I'm filled with the same spirit that his son was. He said, I'll do the same works. And it's not, you see, and you get delivered from having to have recognition. You could care less if anybody knows. You'll sit there, and I'm sure many of you do this already. You'll sit in a bank, or you'll sit somewhere, and you'll look across the way. I mean, if you're in ministry, you have to be a people person. You know what I mean? And I mean, I'm a people watcher. I am. I mean, everywhere I go, I can't help it. Every face I look at, I ask my, you know, what's their story? I mean, you know, I mean, seriously. And you look at some people, and you can see the wounds. You know, you don't have to have a great gift of the Spirit of God. You just see such deep wounds, and my heart breaks. And, and I begin to, you know, Father, bless this, bless this man, Father. 
work a work in his life, whatever, wherever he's at, send that perfect labor into his midst today. But I mean, that happens because you just train yourself towards the presence of God. Um, it's amazing what happens in your life when you begin to cultivate that. I mean, it, again, you see, a lot of people, like I said, they have such a, there's this problem about sin. I'm always tempted, I'm always tempted, I'm always tempted, I'm always tempted. You're not thinking about sin much if you're practicing what I'm talking about. Because you don't, you're not thinking about doing something against God. You're always thinking about, I'm on assignment. Here I am. Why am I at Ashburnham? Uh, why are you really here? You know, what, what, you know when, I, when we pull in to get gas, we look at people. And I mean, we're not, I don't mean we tell everybody, okay, Roland, let's, let's look and see who's here. <laughs> you, know, you know, I don't mean that. I just mean it's a kind of a subconscious awareness that you begin to carry with you. Uh, I always tell the story about... My, my once years ago when my nephew Timmy was a young little young boy he was about 10 years old and we were having a barbecue there in California in my sister's back garden and everybody's in the California sunshine out there by a pool and having a barbecue and everybody's in the house everybody was out there and Timmy was about 10 years old and he walked in to use the loo and uh, about I don't know five minutes later I just wanted I was going to go inside to use the loo as well and I walked in and nobody was in the house and I heard this sound and I couldn't figure out what it was, and it sounded like somebody swearing. I thought, what is that? And I walked down the hallway, and I snuck down. Here's this little 10-year-old nephew of mine, and he's standing in front of a mirror. I know that you've never known kids, and he was practicing his swearing. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, Timmy, he was practicing his swearing. And uh, he was sitting there, and you know, like, only, I guess only guys do this. Oh, yeah? Well, if you do this, I'll do this, you blankety-blank. <laughs> and, you know, and, you know, you know, guys are macho, you know what I mean? And you know, then yeah, well yeah, well blankety blank. And he was just, and I was sitting to the side, I was around the side, and here's this, the hallway, the doorway into the bathroom. And he was just in there and he was just, you know, and you know, none, none of us other men have ever done that. <laughs> Paul, do Englishmen ever do that? Didn't, they never did that when they were younger. But anyhow. And Timmy was doing this, and I said, what on earth is he doing? And he was just a little kid, but, you know, and he was sitting there, and he was, boy, and he was getting loud, and bless God. He didn't, well, he didn't say bless God. <laughs> and he said, you know, and, all, and then I just, I just stepped around the corner and said, what are you doing, Timmy? And he went, brother, oh, you know, he just, I did, you know, he turned a billion shades of red and started to cry, Uncle Rod, Uncle Rod, I'm sorry, Uncle Roddy, I'm sorry, Uncle Roddy, I'm sorry, Uncle Rod. All I'm saying is, it's a silly, silly illustration, but, what would happen if we really believed this Bible and understood that we carry God with us everywhere we go? What would, we really, what, would we, what would really happen, what would really be produced in our life if we really understood what it meant to not grieve the Spirit of God? Because He's come to tabernacle in every one of you. He's chosen. This is the plan of God to come and make His home in you. You know you not that you're the temple of the Holy Ghost and that God's Spirit lives in you. He'll never leave or forsake you. That's why when you go to a place that you ought not go, you feel so funny in your tummy. <laughs> you do. Really. That's why when you get a little angry and you finally slow down enough for that adrenaline to stop, that all of a sudden you feel sick to your stomach because he's in there going, we're quenching, we're grieving. And that's why I'm saying it's really a lot easier than you think to be led of your spirit. You see, it's just little things, but this is what produces the fear of the Lord. And you see, if you'll see how these things connect, and the fear of the Lord is what produces, again, understanding. And understanding is what produces greater faith. These things all connect. Because now you begin to walk in a situation where, again, you're not attempting to fulfill some faith formula. You're walking with a sense of the presence of God. And you're walking with a greater awareness that you have no power to do anything, but the one within you is almighty. And you'll stop and you'll listen. You'll learn to listen. Be still and know that I'm God. You'll learn to listen before you speak. Be still. Be still. Let every man be slow to speak, slow to wrath, and a quick and a ready listener. You'll train yourself how to hear more. And you'll train yourself how to really hear what people are really saying. When you counsel people, I don't counsel people a whole lot anymore because I'm they get fed up with me real quick because if they don't do what I, I figure the counsel of the Lord is, I often tell them by the third visit, you know, don't let the doorknob hit you where the dog should have bit you. In other words, <laughs> if they don't do what the Holy Ghost says to do, I just figure you're wasting my time and your time, so hasta luego, you know what I mean? 
that sounds harsh, but I'm just, you know, I, but I'm saying people will talk to you for 45 minutes and then if you'll listen long enough, they'll get to what they really came for. You know what I mean? They'll empty themselves. But we need to just walk in it. Jesus, back in, now look at 1 Corinthians 15, 34, and what Paul said here in verse 30. Well, I'll look at verse 33. Paul said, Do not be so deceived and misled evil companionships. This is what I was trying to communicate earlier in this scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be so deceived and misled evil companionships or communion or association. They corrupt and deprave good manners and morals and character. Now listen to verse 34 in the Amplified. Awake from your drunken stupor and return to sober sense and your right minds and sin no more. For some of you have not the knowledge of God. You are utterly and willfully and disgracefully ignorant and continue to be so, listen, lacking the sense of God's presence and all true knowledge of him. He said, I say this to your shame. But my point of that verse is he said, you lack the sense of God's presence. Now you do know, or you must know, maybe I should put it that way, that God is with you whether you feel him or not. See, this is why we have to teach faith afresh too, because people have to understand, you know, God's not here because you have goosebumps. Goosebumps are not a scriptural indication of God's presence. Really. Your life begins to really flourish when you really understand that, I, I repeat, I'm saying the same thing over and over again, when you feel the farthest away from everything that he's here. I, like, I forget what psalm it is. Where shall I go from your presence? If I go to the highest mountain, if I go to the deepest valley, if I'm in the midst of the ocean, lo, you are there. I mean, if you hear David's heart crying out, lo, you are there. And to me, that's encouraging. Because I know what it's like to get in the pulpit. I know what it's like to get up here and know I'm here, but then I feel like God's somewhere in the Bahamas. <laughs> you know what I mean? He feels a billion miles away. And I'm totally lost, and I feel naked, I feel undone, I feel like I have absolutely nothing. But that's when I have to pull on my faith and say, but you said you'd never leave me, so regardless of what I feel like, I am not alone. I am not alone. Let me tell you something. There's a big difference between being lonely and alone. Alone can be a real blessing. Trust me. Loneliness is never a blessing. But alone is often a blessing. And I'll, because it's what allows me to hear. But you have to practice that. I'm not alone. You hear me? I'm not. Why don't you just say that? I'm not alone. <laughs> and you really need to think every single day of your life. This is so simple. I know I feel like it's probably you guys are going to fall asleep any second. But I just want, but he said, Paul is sharing to the church at Corinth. Now remember the church at Corinth was the church that quote unquote came behind and no spiritual gift. Remember? I mean, all the, this is another thing that amazed me, that, you know, in Corinth, all the gifts of the Spirit were in manifestation of this church, and yet Paul said they were carnal, right? 1 Corinthians 3 said, are you not carnal? And he goes through all the, all the teaching, all the way through 1 Corinthians, you know, chapters you know, 11, 12, 12, 13, and 14, where it teaches all about the gifts of the Spirit, you know, and sandwiched in between is that chapter about love. And people still, still think to this day that spiritual gifting is an indicator of spiritual maturity. And it's the furthest thing from the truth. You can have all the gifts of the Spirit in operation in your life and be totally carnal. This is why we have to mature into some of the things we're trying to communicate because people, if you're honest, you follow people with great gifts instead of following people with great fruit. Gifts will sparkle you. Fruit will give you nutrition and grow you. Hear me? So again, this is why I said not everything that's spectacular is spiritual. And we want all, you know, hallelujah, we want all the gifts of the Spirit, don't we? Absolutely. But I'm saying, but you're not to be led by gifts. You'd be led by the Spirit, led by the fruit, people that have fruit. You're to follow those who bear the fruit. But Paul speaks to this group of people at Corinth where all the gifts of the Spirit manifestation. He said, I say this to your shame because you lack the sense of the presence of God. Now think about that. All the gifts of the Spirit are in manifestation. Prophecy, healing, miracles. But you have no sense of the presence of God. Does that sound like it? It doesn't even make sense, does it? But how many of you know throughout Exodus, yet, you know, God did all these signs and wonders, and it says, yet they did not believe. Do you understand how easy people can become calloused? 
how quickly you can become church-wise and still have no sense of the presence of God. You can go to church four times a week and not ever have the sense of God's presence. You're just dutifully doing things. That's called deism. You know what deism is? That's Cain and Abel. Cain was the first deist. Deism, he's, the, he's considered the father of deism. Deism is the belief in God with no basis of revelation. In other words, I believe in God because I believe in God, but I have no revelation at work in my spirit that he's alive. And that's why people who have a deistic approach to God, they do things religiously, they do things repetitively, they do things from, from um, tradition, and their gifts are not accepted, they are rejected. Remember Cain's offering was rejected? Remember that? Deistic, deistic approach to God. This is why people, if they, only, if they tithe because they're supposed to, it's not accepted. And so therefore there's no fruit that comes back from their quote tithing, unquote, because they've never tithed. They just put some money in the thing religiously. There's a lot of deism in the church today. It's only when you have revelation. It's only when the spirit's been cut with this stuff that there's life attached to it because God's a spirit and he wants you to do things from your spirit. Again, when I teach in the love walk, it's like the difference, like I said, of a husband and a wife. When I look at Julie and I say, I'll say to my wife, I love you. And that's cool, you know. But when I take her, I always, like I said, always have to be careful when I do this. When I take her by the shoulders and I hold her and I squeeze her tight and I look her dead off the eyes and I say, I love you. Then she goes, oh. you, know, <laughs> you, know I, you know what I mean? And every woman here knows what I'm talking about. There's all the difference in the world saying, you know, the old joke, I told you I loved you when I married you. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's just that a woman has, in particular, a woman, because she's driven by emotion, she's, she's, men are motivated by their ego, women are motivated by their emotions. It's, it's the truth, that's not an attack, it's just a physiological fact. But because of that, a woman can sense so much quicker than a man. A woman senses sincerity and lack of sincerity. And a woman longs for sincerity. Da -da 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 -da. That's why God, you know, a man and a woman make God. Because men and women both came from God. You do remember that, don't you? <laughs> You're the feminine part of God. And, and we sometimes are just so... <laughs> but anyhow, I'm just saying, you see, you know in an instant if it's coming from the heart of a man. At least you should. I hope you do. There's all the difference in the world when something comes from the spirit of a man, isn't there? That's why you can say, I believe in healing. Why? Because I've read it, because somebody said God heals. There's all the difference in the world between that and having walked in it long enough that you've seen Calvary, and you, instead of saying, by his stripes I'm healed, you say, by his stripes I was healed. In other words, it comes from here. It comes from here. It's the heartfelt prayer, not the mind learned, but the heartfelt prayer that avails much. You may think I'm belaboring this, but like I said, it's just that it's important. Whatever it is, whatever it takes, we just need to continue to look at this. But he said that these people with all the gifts of the Spirit, he said that they lacked the sense of God's presence. And I'm just trying to exhort you to do whatever it takes for you to practice the presence of God. In John chapter 5, verse 19, we see all these familiar verses. Jesus said, it said, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. But think about that. The Son, Jesus said, do you hear what he just said? The Son can do nothing. Again, we, it comes back to this point, he was a man, anointed the Holy Ghost. He could only do what he saw his Father doing. He said, I only say what I hear my Father saying. He had this connectivity. He was connected. He walked he had the spirit of counsel and the mighty. He had the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He walked in a continual reverence of who his father was. That because of that, he was able to hear. God knew there was no disruption in this flow, and he could hear what others couldn't hear. He saw what others couldn't see, and then he played them out, as it were. He heard what the father said, and he said it. He saw what the father did, and he did what he saw the father doing. That's the reverence of God. That's why he produced what he produced. Hallelujah. But you know what? All that speaks to you spending some time with him. I repeat, getting past the doctrinal observations into the prayer closet. 
And whatever you do, just making the decision, there's nothing in my life more important than that time, whenever it is for you, but that time. I will not allow that to be stolen from me. Even if I f don't feel anything, I don't have to feel something. It's just that I'm there, and I know he honors the fact that I'm choosing to set myself apart to him. And sometimes the result of that comes three or four days later. And God will point back to it, but it's just something you have to guard. John 6, 38, Jesus said, I came not to do my own will. We must resign ourselves to do the same. I'm not here to do my own will. For I came from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. So in the midst of all our teaching, I put down here, sometimes we get so in Christ-minded that we forget that we're those things in Christ. In other words, I'm, it's not me. This is where you have to bring this balance. Because I'm not righteous, but I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm not able to do all things except through Christ Jesus. I'm not self-sufficient, but my sufficiency is of God. I'm not holy in myself, but Jesus Christ himself has become my holiness. I don't know all things, but I have the mind of Christ. Now in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 14 through 17 is when it speaks about the sweet fragrance of Christ. I'll just read it real quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 14, this is a great one. But thanks be to God who in Christ Jesus leads us in triumph as trophies of Christ's victory. And through us spreads and makes evident the fragrance and the knowledge of God everywhere. Isn't that wonderful? That's what you and I are doing. Every single one of us, aren't we? We're spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of God, aren't we? So we ask ourselves questions sometimes. When we leave the room, what do other people smell? We're supposed to leave behind us the fragrance of Christ. And you know how you recognize the fragrance of Christ? Number one, acceptance. People do not feel rejection when you're around. They do not feel judged. They do not feel condemned. They don't, because that's what Jesus wore. That's what he smelled like. He walked in places. That's why little kids came to him. That's why animals. Have you ever read Edersheim's The Life and Times of Christ? I'm, excuse me, I mean the Archaeal volume, what's called the Archaeal volume. I got 10 minutes, I better hurry. I can't. There's a book that's been found. Uh, I, don't, I can't even spell it. It's A R C H E K O, I think, volume. Basically, what it was like the CNN of the day. A guy who went around like a journalist in interviewing people during the day, uh, the days of Christ's life. And they interviewed people around him and in Jerusalem and, Beth and what have you. And this is supposed to be all, I mean, I can't guarantee it, but it's been verified by tons and tons of people. But all these old writings that they've found and put back together and how he interviewed people and asked questions about this man, Jesus. Did he have girlfriends? Uh, things like, I mean, really, you know, things that you would, you know, what were his relationships like? And it said in three or four of the passages, the thing that always just made me laugh, the people that said that walked with this man, this carpenter, they said that this man, this carpenter, the thing that touched, that made them think he was different is how animals had an inordinate affection for him. That wherever animals were, they seemed to come to him and not be afraid of him. Just little things like that make me go, you know, because I'm still the little boy. The little boy and he's still going, yeah, the deer walk up and the bear and the uncle. Oh, well. <laughs> but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumph as trophies of Christ's victory. And through us spreads and makes evident the fragrance and the knowledge of God everywhere. For we are the sweet fragrance of Christ, which exhales unto God, discernible alike among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Now, like I said, right there, your life should convict sinners, but not because you point fingers at them and judge them. It's just that they should see there should be something that's evident about your life that causes them to just, hmm. and see, it's not your much speaking. Remember, you're supposed to be living epistles, not living megaphones. You know what I mean? There's a, there's a big difference. To the latter, it is an aroma raft, waft, rafted. To the latter, it is an aroma wafted from death to death. It's a fatal odor, the smell of doom, because of what we represent. We represent the life of Christ. We represent the fact that if you don't believe in him, you already have a judgment. He said, to the former, it's an aroma from life to life, a vital fragrance, living and fresh. And who is qualified and fit and sufficient for such things? Who is able for such a ministry? We, for we are not like so many, like hucksters that make a trade of peddling God's word shortchanging and adulterating the divine message. But like men of sincerity and the purest motive, we're commissioned and sent by God. We speak 
his message in Christ in the very sight and presence of God. That's something that we need to really meditate on. I have to stop here, but what God told me was you need to learn to think that when you speak, you need to carry this revelation. He said, Paul said, we speak as in the presence of God. In other words, do you know how different it is when somebody's with you that you deeply respect? Be honest. I mean, like I remember the first time I got up to give it when, when I was at Bible college and they had me, uh, you get up in front of somebody and you have these people that are prophets. I mean, for real prophets, you know, like I said, with people that bones crack and pop and snap and stuff. And, and you get up and they sit and like critique you or listen to you and your voice croaks and you go like this and you get up and, and I'd just get up and I'd go to speak. And I mean, the sense I had, this, you couldn't help it. I was so aware of them sitting here, these people that I esteem so highly. I mean, my gosh, you know, and I'm, you know, and I was trying to be so careful, you know what I mean? And, and I mean, but they were so full of love, they didn't, it was fine. But I'm just saying, Paul said, we speak as in the very presence of God. What would happen if we walked out of here and for the rest of our life, we spoke thinking that we're in the presence of God? Just how would you speak if the queen was next to you? Remember? Little things like that. How would you speak, how would you speak if you really understood, if you really understood Christ is in you, God's with you, you're filled with his spirit, the Trinity is all around you. I speak as in the presence of God. You know, Father, help us cultivate that. You know what I mean? The Holy Spirit is within us to manifest the presence and the character of God. The apostles in Acts 17, 6 went forth and people said of them, they who turn the world upside down are among us. Hallelujah. What a testimony. In Acts 4.13, this is one of my favorites and all of our favorites. Now, when they saw the boldness and the unfettered eloquence of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and untrained in the schools, common men with no advantages, they marveled and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Amen? They recognized that they'd been with Jesus. They weren't. They were common men with no advantages, but they carried something with them that caused them to stand out amongst everybody else. They walked in the revelation of Christ. They walked with a sense of God's presence. They spoke as in the presence of God, and because they carried that fear of the Lord with them, they turned the world upside down everywhere they went. It shook environments because they carried a stronger environment with them the presence of our God. Father, we thank you for this in the name of Jesus. We trust again that you'll begin to communicate these things to our spirit in such a way that we begin to wear them and live them, not just consider them. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for it. Amen. Amen.